Okay, we're really holding in Perik Chav Gimel, chapter 23, Malachim Beis, Perik Chav Gimel, chapter 23, and it's actually exciting, I hope tonight, to finish Malachim Beis, finish a sefer that we've been working on for a long time. Um, I hope so. Um, and we're in the middle of the king, one of the last kings of the Malchei uh, Yehuda. Um, I'm not going to go through the, the whole history, but as we know, we've been talking about the two kingdoms, but the kingdom of the ten, tribe has, ten, ten tribes have already been exiled um, by the king of Ashur of Assyria. And therefore, the ones that are left in Eretz Yisrael are the two tribes, of Yehuda and Benjamin, with the remnants of whoever else is left with them. And we're down to the last couple of kings um, of the two tribes, which are the last couple of kings, period. Because um, as we get tonight to the end of the Sefer, we come to the very terrible time of the Churban Beis HaMikdash and the end of kingdom as we know it until the coming of Mashiach. So really, um, after the first three general kings that were the kings of all of Kal Yisrael, Shaul, David, and Shlomo, afterward there were 20 kings of Malchei Yehuda. Altogether, we've gone through most of them, but there were 20 kings of Malchei Yehuda. The 16th, King number 16, and he's the one that we were talking about last week, was the king Yoshiyahu. And Yoshiyahu was a tzaddik, right? As, as we've been seeing, there were kings who are tzaddikim, and there were kings who are rishayim, and all different types. Um, most recently, we had Yehiskiyahu, who was a tremendous tzaddik, but Yehiskiyahu's son was Manasseh, who was a tremendous Russia, right? Even last week, we talked about the interesting thing. The Chizkiyo saw with Ruach HaKodesh that he was going to have a son, a Russia. He didn't want to have children, but he was uh, criticized for that. He had the child, and that was Manasseh, who was the worst. Uh, Manasseh's son was Amun ben Manasseh, or Amun ben Manasseh, and he too was a, was a negative king over David Azarah. His son was Yoshiyahu. Yoshiyahu, is, again, is the 16th king of Klal Yisrael. Um, and he's the one that we learned about in Perak Chav Beis, chapter 22, was the beginning of the story of Yoshiyahu. Um, we saw that a very fascinating thing happened last week, I'm just repeating quickly, and that is that he sent, um, he was sent a very interesting sign from the Beis HaMikdash. And that was in the Beis HaMikdash, they found the Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote one Sefer Torah and left it in the Beis HaMikdash, the holiest Sefer Torah we ever had, the one that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. That was the one that the king would read every time by Hakil, which is this year. And that was found, it was somehow lost, and it was found during the time of Yoshiyahu, and it was opened up to the curses, the promises of destruction and of Golos. Yoshiyahu became very afraid, and he sent for the Nevi'ah of the time, who was Chulda, one of the prophetesses of the time, and asked her to interpret this. What's going on? What is this meaning of this uh, omen of opening the Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu to the section of destruction? And Chulda HaNeviyah gave a very harsh nevuah. And she said, yes, it's the, chur, the time of the Churban is upon us. And Hashem is going, just as Hashem exiled the ten tribes, Hashem is going to exile the two tribes because of all of the Abedizara and all of years and years, especially Menashe, who was the last king, was a king for over 50 years, not the last, but one, one before, and brought tremendous Abedizara and murder, idolatry, morality, everything to the land. And Hashem is going to punish the Jewish people and bring about the Churban. Yet, Hulda said, not in your lifetime, not in Yoshio's lifetime, because he is a tzaddik, but it is sooner than later. You know, she, started, she said, the end is, is upon us. Um, interestingly, after him, there's going to be um, five more kings. Um, I'm sorry, four more kings. And three out of those four are going to be his sons. We'll see three sons and one grandson. 
are all going to be the final kings, and the final king is going to be also his son. Um, and so the Churban is really going to be visited on Klal Yisrael in the next generation after Yoshio. That's really where we left off at the end of Perak Chaf Beis. So Perak Chaf Gimel begins. Vayishlach HaMelech, the king heard this and he gathers Klal Yisrael, he says, it's time to do tshuva. Now, did he think that he would be able to avert the gzero or not is unclear, but he definitely gave it his best shot. And in this parak, we learn how he really, probably in, in the most, in, in the best way that it has ever been done in hundreds of years, he purges Eretz Yisrael from any type of Avedizara. And he's very extreme. The, pasik, the parak gives us some 20, 25 psukim, where he talks about it, he brings all the Jewish people to the Beis Hamikdash, and they make a bris, they a covenant with Hashem, um, that everyone will go after the ways of Hashem and to guard his mitzvahs and his and his edos and chukim with b'chol leiv, b'chol nefesh, with all our heart and all our soul. Um, and he really, he really, um, he 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 commands the kohen gadol, who's chilki yahu that they should take anything, anything in the Beis HaMikdash that has any trace of idolatry, because there was so much idolatry all over the place, to take it out and then destroy it and to burn it. Um, all the uh, forms and all of the altars in the, in the entire land, and there was an Asherah, which is a tree for idolatry that had been built in the Beis HaMikdash. That was destroyed. And then he even, there was, there was, there was, there was, uh, there was famous Avdavid Zorah, the prophets of Avdavid Zorah, and he actually, um, what is it called when you take the bodies out of the ground to exhume them? Mm-hmm. He exhumed the bodies of the leaders of the desire of the Jewish people and he burnt them. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he went all out. A war against Avedizara and anyone that stands for Avedizara. Um, amazingly, and I don't expect anyone to remember this because I also didn't remember it. I had to look it up tonight. But way back, the first Navi who brought idolatry to the Jewish people was Yeravam. Right, Yeravam ben Nevat, he was the first um, king of the ten tribes. In his time, and we learned this in Malachim Aleph Perik Yud Gimel, so I'm talking some 50, 60, at least a year ago. There it says there was a Navi Ido who came as Yeravam was uh, serving of Edizara, and, and, and he started um, saying prophecy, he says that all of Edizara is going to be destroyed. Yeravam stuck out his hand to try to hurt him, and Yeravam's hand dried up. Mm. But he said, he said, this is uh, hundreds of years earlier, he says, David. A son will be born to the house of David, Yoshiyahu Shema. Mm. So Ido Hanavi, hundreds of years in advance, is prophesizing this Yoshiyahu. He will destroy all of the idolatry and all of the idolaters will all be killed in his time. So that this, what Yoshio is doing today, was prophesied right in the beginning of Avodazar of the Jewish people by the Navi Ido. By name, he says, a son will be born, Yoshiyahu, from the house of David, and he will destroy all the Avodazar that you're bringing into Klal Yisrael. Just an amazing concept, amazing idea. But back here, so Yoshio again really goes to town and he purges Klal Yisrael of Avodazar like it's never been totally um, purged before. And again, it says he, he took the. the, the the kvarim, the, the cemeteries of the Avodah he destroyed anything that had any name of Avodah left with it. Um, interestingly, it says one of the kvarim, when he was, he was waging this battle against live and dead, anyone that is connected to Avodah it says he found one caver that was very odd. 
that it had beautiful trees growing on one side and thorn bushes on the other. I said, what's going on here? And they told him that's the kever where the Navi Emes was buried together with the Navi Sheker. And that goes all the way back to that time. Um, remember, the Navi Ido then was told by Hashem not to eat or drink. There was a Navi Sheker who invited him in and got him to eat and drink. Ido was killed. The Navi Sheker brought him, buried him, and said, I want to be buried next to him. That way I'll be saved in the time when we're all going to be punished. And that also happens here. So um, he says, uh, Yoshio says, Ma'at Sion Halaz, what is this odd um, gravesite? And they say, well, here is where is the Isha Lokim, the godly man and the, and the man of Odazara. He says, okay, just leave it. And it says that the, the tzaddik's remains saved, the Russia's remains just by being next to them. And again, this is like a story that's hundreds of years old that's playing itself out here. Um, then it says, the Navi Yoshio says, it was, it was in the month of Nisan. He says, I want everyone to come for Pesach to Yerushalayim. We're going to make up a, a carbon Pesach where the entire Klal Yisrael is going to get involved in this carbon Pesach. And the Pasuk says, there wasn't such a carbon Pesach made since the days of the Shoftim before the kings. Again, we're at the end of the, of the kings. We're hundreds of years later. It says, Lo Pesach shoftim. Asher shoftu es Yisrael. V'chol malchi Yisrael malchi Yehuda. Never was there such a time in hundreds of years that all of Klal Yisrael came together and made that um, carbon Pesach. And the 18th year of this king of Yoshiyahu. And... Um, and again, the, the Pasuk keeps on going on how, how the, uh, the Ovos and the Yedonim, all types of Avodah were totally uh, eradicated to the extent that the Pasuk says one of those very infrequent pra- praises about this Melech. Before him there was no king as him, Asher Shav El Hashem, that did this level of tshuva for himself, Bechal levavo, or bechal nafsho, or bechal maodo. Like we say in davening, we love Hashem bechal levavcha, bechal nafsho. No one did shuva like him. Kechol Torah, Moshe has everything. Moshe has told us in his Torah. The acharav lo kam kemohu. Afterward, there was no king who ever brought Kali Yisrael to that type of level of shuva. Mm-hmm. However, although that's wonderful, it wasn't enough, or it was maybe too little, too late. Um, as the Pasuk continues, This did not avert Hashem's great anger, that he was upset with Yehuda, um, because of all of the anger that they did back from the time of Menashe, um, and the idolatry, and the murderousness. And Hashem says that ultimately the time of Golas is upon us. In other words, Yes, Yeshayo was very much praised for the tremendous efforts that he did and the purging of Avedah Zara, but it wasn't enough to avert the ultimate gzera um, that was going to befall them in the coming years. Um, and the Pasuk ends as it ends by, by all the kings when they pass away, that the rest of the stories of Yeshayo are written on the stories of the time, history of the time of Malchi Yehuda. Now, although this is very beautiful, Yoshiyahu is going to be killed by an Egyptian king. Here, there's very little about it. Um, in general, what we're going to learn tonight is written very, very short, and much more is written in other books of Nevi'im, because this is the last stages of right before the Churban, and this is described at great length, especially by the Navi Yirmiyahu, who deals with all the prophecies of Churban. So a lot of the events of tonight are in very, very cryptic short form, but in other places there are more. So the death of, of Yoshio, here it just says, 
um, that in his days, Paro Necho, who was the king of Mitzrayim, we know Mitzrayim, we know back from Chumash, the kings of Mitzrayim were called the pharaohs, the Paros. So this is this leader of Paro, Paro Necho. And it says that in that day, Paro Necho was waging a battle with the king of Ashur, the king of Assyria. And Yoshiyahu goes towards him, and he is killed. Yoshiyahu was killed in a battle. And again, here, the Pasuk doesn't tell us anything more, just that he's killed and his body is taken and buried together with the kings in Eretz Yisrael. Um, but the Chazal tell us, based on the Novi and Yirmiyahu, that Yoshiyahu, here you have the king of Mitzrayim going to battle with the king of Ashur. Yirmiyahu, the Novi, told Yoshiyahu to stay out of it. Just don't, just don't go. Let them fight this out. Yoshio felt that Klal Yisrael is in such a good place spiritually after this Korban Pesach and after purging. He says that we can protect ourselves, that no one should, there shouldn't be any battle in Eretz Yisrael at all. So he wanted to like push them out, that this battle should be elsewhere. But Yermiel said that although we did good today, we're not there. And he was killed. And Yoshio was killed, it says, with, um, it says many, many spears were thrown, 300 spears were thrown at the Melech Yoshio, and he was killed immediately. And as he was dying, Yirmiyahu bends, bends over him, and he sees that Yoshio's lips are moving. And he listens, and Yoshio is saying, Tzadik Hashem ki pihu marisi. He says, I didn't listen to Hashem ultimately, I didn't listen to the Navi. And, that, and he accepted his death in that way. And Yirmiyahu writes one of the kinos, one of the lamentations that we say on Tishabav is a lamentation on the king Yoshiyahu. It's in Eicha. Eicha, which we read on Tishbev, written by Yirmiyahu, is what is Yirmiyahu's lamentation for the king Yoshiyahu, who is seen definitely as one of the most righteous kings of the Jewish people, but nevertheless died in this way, in that battle with the, with the Paro of Mitzrayim. Okay, when he dies, his son is instated as the king after him, Yehoahaz. Yehoahaz is instated. Interestingly, it says that he was um, anointed, which is unusual, because normally you only, you know, a, a, a son who inherits from a father doesn't have to be anointed. It's automatic. We didn't read most kings are anointed. Uh, the reason he was anointed is because there were other sons, and the question was which one would be king. So he became king first. We'll see others followed in his path. But Yehoahaz becomes the 17th king of Malchay base David. Okay, we don't have a lot about Yehoahaz. It says he was 23 years when he became king. Um, he only was king for a very short time, for three months. He was bad. He did not go in his father's ways. And Avodazar was never far. It, it, you know, it was, as much as it was purged, turn it around, new king, back to negative ways. Ultimately, Paro, the same Paro that killed his father, um, comes and has him... Um, has him arrested. He has him um, arrested, brought to Mitzrayim, and he removes him from Israel. And Paro instead instates his brother. It doesn't say in the Pasuk why, what happened, what did he do wrong. Some, um, some of Farshim say that he went to avenge his father's blood, mm. being that Paro had killed his father Yoshio, so he went to fight him. And Paro arrested him. He was, Paro was a, was a superpower at the time, or one of the superpowers. And he arrested him and instated his brother, whose name was Eliakim. But interestingly, he changed his name from Eliakim to Yehoiakim. I don't know why. I'm sure he had a reason. But the Pasik says his name Paro was. Changed his name. Yeah. 
Paro instated him and said, from now on you'll be known as something else. Maybe that was his way of showing power, that he's going to name the king. The king is under him, I'm saying perhaps. But he changed his name to Yehoyakim. Um, and Yehoyakim then becomes the 18th king of the Jewish people, of, of Malchai Beis David. And he's also a son of Yoshiahu. Right? Yoshiahu was killed. The first one that, was, that became right after him was Yehoachaz. Yehoachaz now is arrested, taken to Mitzrayim. He's going to die in Mitzrayim. And Paro instates his brother and names him um, Yehoyakim. So Yehoyakim now is the 18th king of Klal Yisrael. And Paro levies heavy taxes on the Jewish people, punishments, and so on. And they have to, you know, they have to pay up a lot of silver and gold. Really, Paro is running, is sort of running the shots at this moment in um, in Yerushalayim. Um, Yoyakim says it's twenty five years when he becomes the king. He's a king for eleven years. And again, Vayas Harab Hashem He continues the negative trend now um, of. Which is, which is already, he's taking over his brother. Right? He and his brother were already on a negative path, although their father, Yoshio, was such a big tzaddik and purged Kalei from Abba Zara, but we're sinking back into it, and that is now king number 18 of Yehoyakim. Again, in this Sefer, there's not a lot of discussion about this, but in Yirmiyahu, um, there's a lot, Yirmiyahu's prophecies of Churban were a lot during this Melech Yehoyakim. Um, he wrote a lot of the Eicha, a lot of the lamentations of what's going to happen, the terrible things in this time. Um, in Yirmiyot, we're told that Yirmiyot was arrested numerous times by Yehoyakim and his men because they didn't like what he was saying. When Yehoyakim, when Yirmiyot initially wrote the book of Eicha and read it before the king, they tore it out of his hands and burnt it because they didn't want to hear Yirmiyot's uh, you know, prophecies of impending doom. But that was during the time of this Yehoyakim, who is, again, the second son of Yoshiahu to be king. And with that, we finish Peruch of Gimel, chapter 23. Okay? Chapter 24. Biyamav. It was in his days that Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel comes on the scene. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar is the one who's going to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. Till now, um, the big player was Ashur, the Assyrians, mm -hmm. but the Assyrians were destroyed in that tremendous miracle by the king Yechizkiyo, right on Pesach when they all died, 185,000 people that was the end of the Assyrian army the next one was, we saw about the Mitzrayim and the, uh, the Mitzrayim and whatever was left of Ashur, but the new the new kingdom on the block is going to be Bavel Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel, and they are going to become the superpowers once they take over you know, they, they vanquish Mitzrayim everyone else and they are the superpower, and they're going to be for a number of years um, until after the Khurban, and ultimately that's going to become the uh, Persians or whatever, but that's, that's later. So in the beginning of Peir Chavdalid, chapter 24, we're introduced to Nebuchadnezzar. That was in his days that Nebuchadnezzar comes up towards Yerushalayim, and Yehoyakim, who's the Jewish king, becomes an Eved to him. And Eved doesn't mean that he's serving for him, but it means that he's a king, but he's a king under him. That Nebuchadnezzar is the superpower, he's the leader. And yes, Yehoiakim is the king in Yerushalayim, but Yerushalayim at this point is not a powerful kingdom. So it's under the domain of Nebuchadnezzar. After the three years that Yehoiakim um, acts, you know, is in servitude, so to speak, is under 
Nebuchadnezzar, he rebels. He says, we don't need you, we'll, we'll do it on our own. So he rebels against Yehoyakim, right? Yehoyakim, this king that we're talking about, the 18th king, he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar after those three years. And the Pasuk says that it was, it was a very difficult time for the Jewish people. There was, there was, uh, they were attacked by all types of different um, groups and, and soldiers, whether it was the Kasdim or from Aram or Moab. It was a time of great turmoil. Um, in Yerushalayim. And all of this was part of the impending punishment. As the Pasuk says, it was all uh, in uh, retribution or, or punishment for the sins of Manasseh and those who went in his ways and the, and the, the murder that was going on in Yerushalayim as well. Um, and then the Pasuk says, and, and, the, and the rest of the lifetime of Yehoiakim is written up on the Times, and Yehoiakim dies, and his son Yehoiachin becomes the king after him. Yehoiachin. That's the son of Yehoiachin. So it's the grandson of Yoshiyahu. Right? We started off tonight with Yoshiyahu. And afterward we had his first son, then his second son. Now it's going to be a grandson. It's number 19. This is number 19. Second to the last king of the Jewish people. And that is Yehoiachin that becomes the new king um, and the Pasuk says, at this time, the king of Mitzrayim is not significant anymore at all. Can I just ask you, when yes. he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, right. does he take over? or like Does who take over? Does Yehoiakim take over? Like, and not be his Evet anymore? Yeah, yeah. Yehoiakim is the king of Yerushalayim. Right. So for some time, he paid taxes and everything to Nebuchadnezzar. And then he declared independence. That was a form of rebelling. When he did that, it was just a time of turmoil battles and wars. Nebuchadnezzar didn't come yet to reinstate his power, but it wasn't a good time for the Jewish people. Okay. Meanwhile, Yehoiakim dies, and now his son Yehoiachin takes over. Now, Yehoiachin is 18 years old when he takes over the kingdom, and he's just a couple months in Yerushalayim, the king, and he goes in the negative ways of his father and his uncle. And it's at this time that Nebuchadnezzar comes back. So the father had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar's domain. Nebuchadnezzar didn't make a big deal of it so far, but now Nebuchadnezzar comes in the time of Yehoiachin. And it says Nebuchadnezzar comes with his servants and with his armies, and they put Yerushalayim in siege. Now, what's important to know, and something you, that you very likely have heard before, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, or the exile of the Jewish people, happened in two stages. When I say when I say two stages, I'm not talking about the ten tribes. Ten tribes are long gone; they're a hundred years gone already. I'm talking about the the exile of the two tribes. The destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash happened in two waves, as we're going to read so shortly. Nebuchadnezzar first is going to exile the majority of the Jewish people and the powerful Jewish people and the teachers of the Jewish people. That's, that's the first part of Golos Bavel. And then, we'll see, 11 years later is when he completes the job and destroys the Besamekdash. So the first one happens during the 19th king, and the second one during the final 20th king. And that's, that's what we're going to read now, how, because right now is really the beginning of the Churban, part one, as we're going to see. So Nebuchadnezzar comes up to Yerushalayim, Nebuchadnezzar king of Bavel, and they lay siege to the land. Yoyachin 
sees that there's nothing he can do. I mean, he's surrounded by the Babylonian armies that are, and, whatever, and we're not even talking about a tzaddik. I mean, when Yechizkiyot also was in a, an impossible situation, but Yechizkiyot was supported by a Navi, and he knew that he was going to have a miracle, which happened. But Yehoyachin has no such illusions. There's no reason for him to have a miracle. He's not deserving of a miracle. He's a Russia. And Nebuchadnezzar is surrounding him. So Yehoyachin, you know, goes out, and they go out, and they give themselves up to the, to the king Nebuchadnezzar. According to the simple reading of the Tanakh, there are Midrashim that say that the Sanhedrin gave him over to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt that was the only way that they might be able to save Kal Yisrael, and this was a Russia from every angle. Uh, but that, the Pasuk definitely doesn't say anything like that. That is an idea mentioned in Medrash. The Pasuk says, Vayetse yoyachin melech Yehuda al melech Bavel, hu v'imov avada v'sarav, he and his servants went out to the king of Bavel, and somehow, either it was he who thought, or the Sanhedrin who thought, that that might avert the impending doom. of You know, he'll get the king, he'll be in charge, right? But that didn't happen. It says, the king took him, and the king took all of the Otsros Beis Hashem, anything from the Beis HaMikdash, anything of value, and any of the Otsros, any of the treasures of the Beis HaMelech of the king's home, and he just, anything that he can get his hands on. And he exiled Yerushalayim and all of the ministers and all of the soldiers, all of the leaders of the army, and all of the craftsmen, and all the Talmud Chachamim, all of the Nevi'im. Everyone was exiled. Just not the plain population, but all the leadership. He took the leadership of Israel, including the Nevi'im, including Yirmiyahu, including Mordechai, from the story of Purim. Right? You might remember from the Megillah, that during the Megillah we read that Mordechai was exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. That's now even though the name Mordechai is not mentioned in Tanakh here, but he is part of the Talmidei Chachamim, the leaders of the Jewish people that are exiled at this time. Um, interestingly, um, although this was a disaster and terrible, Chazal tells us there's a tremendous bracha in this as well. Because what happened was, he exiled all of the leaders and the foundations of the Jewish people to Bavel 11 years before the Churban. What happens when the Besamekhtesh is destroyed 11 years later, and the regular population come to Bavel, what do they find there? A Jewish infrastructure. They find tzaddikim, they find yeshivas, they find shuls. So, in, in, you know, in Hashem's way always of, of doing things, when things on one hand are terrible and disastrous, there's a plan. And here's one of those times where the plan became very, very evident in, in the pretty near future. That when the big Churban happened and the big Golas happened, they weren't coming to nowhere. They were coming to a place where Yiddishkeit was established, not just established by regular people, but by the tzaddikim of the generation. Um, Daniel, Hanani, Mishal, Vazaria are all people of this time. There's a lot of great tzaddikim in this time, although they weren't the rulers. So they exiled them, but they set up their own... Yeah, the, the, the exiling then, a lot of it, I mean, some people were sold into slavery, but many was just, just taking them to a different country and now you're, you fend for yourselves. Um, we have that going back also to Sancheirev. That's what they did. They would come into a country, they would sh- the way they showed their dominion is they took all the inhabitants and sent them out. And then you're on your own. So they, they exiled, doesn't say how many, but thousands of people to Bavel. And in Bavel, they, they were able to live. And, you know, they weren't in, in charge, but, uh, you know, Jews didn't have good, you know, for thousands of years, wherever they were in exile, but they were able to create their own, you know, yeshivas and create their own shuls and create, you know, their own bar park <laughs> or whatever else they did. Whatever else they had a bubble, right? Okay. Um, but, so the king takes Yehoyachin, the king, to, ba- to Bavel, together, it says, with his, his mother and his wives and his, and his servants and everyone. 
And again, it says, it says uh, there are some numbers given. It says 7,000 of his uh, warriors and the leaders, all the strong people were taken by the king of Bavil into um, exile. But, so who's going to be the king of the Jewish people? He just exiled the king. So he crowned, the king Nebuchadnezzar crowned his uncle, right? The other son of Yoshiahu. I said that there's going to be the three, sons. three sons. So this is the third, right? There was, this was a nephew that was now exiled. But the king now um, puts in his place, or in states as the new king of Yerushalayim, the um, Tzidkiyahu, the last king of the Jewish people, is going to be the Melech Tzidkiyahu. Um, and he's instated by Nebuchadnezzar. And he's made to promise and swear actually on a Sefer Torah that he'll never rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. But he, he becomes the king. He what? He becomes the king. He becomes the final king of the remnants of the Jewish people in Yerushalayim. There's not a lot. And there's no one strong, and there's no one powerful. It's a very decimated nation. But it's a nation nonetheless. And Sidkiyo is their melech. And Sidkiyo is a good king. Like his father, unlike his brothers and nephew. But like his father, Yoshio, and he was a righteous king. But, even though he was a righteous king, interestingly, the Pasuk says, Vayas Hashem. He didn't do good. And Chazal say, why not? It's, he was a believer in Hashem and so on and so forth. According to all Midrashim and the Gemaras, it says, but he didn't admonish others. Because he was good. But in that way, he wasn't like his father. His father, Yoshio, purged Eretz Yisrael from idolatry. He, 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 was a, he was a king. He was a leader. He wasn't just good himself and a believer himself. Um, he, he made everyone be that way, um, at least during his lifetime. And his son, Sidhiyah, the final king, was a tzaddik on his own, but wasn't able to affect that by the remnants of the Jewish people who were there. And that brings us to the end of chapter 28. And then we come to the last parak, parak of Hay. What time? 24. I was 24. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I just was making sure you're listening. Um, what time is it? Um, 22 tonight. Good. Excellent. Excellent. We're doing good. We have, we're great. Excellent. Okay. Parak. Well, you could say chazak. Right. That, that, that's, what my goal, my, that's what my goal was, even knowing that I have to even leave a couple minutes earlier because there's a, still a Chav Cheshven events tonight, right. whatever. Oh, but there's a woman's thing where Hindi wants to go. Okay. Perak Chafi. And this is the, this is the final parak of the, of the sefer, sefer. And I'm going to tell you before we start, it's a very sad parak. The, the Sefer ends with the Churban Beis HaMikdash. So it's not, we're not ending in the greatest way. But this is the ending of the parak. And it was in the ninth year of his kingdom, of this Melech Tzidkiyahu. And again, here the, the Sukkim are very, very short. They don't tell us the whole story at all. Um, it just says Nebuchadnezzar came back to fight. But really we know from other places in Tanakh that Tzidkiyahu did rebel ultimately. Um, after a couple of years, Tzidkiyahu felt somewhat strengthened and whatever. He did not want to be under the rulership of this very terribly wicked Nebuchadnezzar. And he stopped paying the taxes or doing whatever you did to show that you were accepting of the domain of the, you know, the, or the ruling king or kingdom. And it was in the ninth year of his king, in the tenth month, on the tenth of the month. So the tenth month is the month of, uh, of Tammuz, right? Uh, no, 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 what am I saying? Shvat. 
Shvat, Shvat. The tenth month is the month of Shvat. And Nebuchadnezzar came, he and his armies, and they surrounded Yerushalayim. Is it Shvat or Tevis? It's Tevis. I'm sorry. Thank yeah. you. It's Tevis. It's, it's, so I'm talking. Thank you. Right. It's Tevis and it's Asara B'Tevis. Right? The 10th of Tevis, which we fast. Right? Why do we fast on Asara B'Tevis? Because of what we're learning right now. Asara B'Tevis is when Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Yerushalayim, for the, which led to the destruction of the first holy temple. And that's now. That's what we're learning now. So it was in the, I don't know what I was thinking, but yes, on the 10th month, the 10th day, which is the 10th day of the month of Tevis, that Nebuchadnezzar comes and he surrounds Yerushalayim and he builds, in the olden days when they surrounded, they would build this whole, um, I don't know what it's called in English, uh, like a whole um, uh, structure around the city, um, not to allow anyone in, not to allow anyone out, and that was how they waged battle. And that siege was for three years. But who was he battling? There were no strong people there still. Well, there was enough to defend themselves. You know, when you have to defend yourselves, everyone becomes as strong as they can. You're right, it wasn't, but, but they were able to, to, to fend them off. Yerushalayim was always a very fortified city. And even till today, you see the walls of Yerushalayim. It's not, it's not the same ones, but it's built in the same place and so on. So it was very fortified. And he surrounded them. Um, for for two I'm sorry for two years that he surrounded the city of Yerushalayim, and finally it was on the ninth of the month and we know that's Tishabov that the um, that the hunger became terrible in the city. I, I'm sorry, I, I take that back. Not Tishabov. I'm talking about when they actually were going to break through the walls of Yerushalayim, right? There's, there's three steps in the Churban. There was the, surround, the siege that was laid on the land, on the, on the city, and there's when the walls were cracked or broken into, and then there's when the Besamek was destroyed. Now, now, so you're saying that the walls are broken in Shiva Sarbatamas. Now, that's interesting you say that. So, we fast on Shiva Sarbatamas because the walls were broken. That is typically understood to be by the second Besamekdash. Oh. By the second Beis HaMikdash, the walls were broken as Shiva Asar Batamas. For the first Beis HaMikdash, no, 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 broken. No, Again, no, but the first one they surrounded? The surrounding, we, were, we learned about the first. Asar Batavis is definitely the first one. Okay. Okay? Shiva Asar Batamas is when it's broken, that's by the second Beis HaMikdash, under the Romans. When were the walls broken by the first Beis HaMikdash? So the Navi says over here, it was in the ninth day of the month of Tamas. Not the 17th of Tammuz, but the 9th of Tammuz. Which would mean, a simple reading that Avi means, tells us that the walls of Yerushalayim by the first base of Mikdash were, bro were broken on the 9th of Tammuz, and it's the 2nd, that's the 17th of Tammuz, and we fast on the 17th. It's interesting, though, that according to the um, Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, even the first base of Mikdash, the first, was also 17th of Tammuz. Mm -hmm. So why does it say the 9th here? Says the Gemara, because... The situation was so bad in the city, and such hunger, and such famine, and difficulty, that they confused the dates. And they thought it was the 9th, but really was the 17th. This is, the Talmud Yerushalmi says this. Which begs the question, they may have confused the dates, but why did the Navi write it that way? It's written in the Navi. Navi is Dvar Hashem. So the Gemara says, no, that Hashem says, write it with their mistake, to show how bad the time was. That they got their dates, their dates messed up even. So there's this debate between the Talmud Yerushalmi and other Midrashim, how to understand, if, to understand this verse 
um, in its literal sense, that the walls were broken on the 9th, which is what the Pusik says, or that that was a mistake and really was the 17th. Right? There's no resolution to that. It's two opinions brought in Chazal as to exactly when the walls of Yerushalayim were broken during the first Churban. Either way, Vatibaka Ha'ir, um, the, once the city was uh, broken into, Chalanshi uh, al-Malchama and all the, you know, the men of the war the, came pouring in, the uh, Babylonians, and they started the destruction of the people of, of Yerushalayim, whoever was the remainders of Yerushalayim. And then it says, they ran after the king, the king Tzidkiyahu, and they caught him near Yerecho, near, near Yericho. And that's all the Pasuk says here. They ran after him and caught him. The Midrashim tell us that the king Tzidkiyahu had a, um, had a uh, cave a tunnel, a tunnel underground that left from his palace and was able to take him very far away from Yerushalayim. And when he saw that the wall was broken through, he and his closest people went down you know, into that tunnel and ran away. But Hashem wanted them to be captured. So the Medrash says that what happened was Hashem had a deer run just on the ground outside of Yerushalayim. And a couple of soldiers were running after the deer to hunt it. And the deer ran and ran on top of the ground just as Sitkiyo was running underground. And when Sitkiyo and family exited, who knows how many miles away, they exited into the hands of a group of soldiers, of the Babylonian soldiers. In other words, those Hashem... Those tunnels? In those... Oh. You know, in there, you know, they say... Oh, well, is, are they called Sitkiyo tunnels? Possibly. Possibly. If not, I'm sure a tour guide named it that way. But uh, <laughs> Could be. I, I have no idea. But that's what it says. The Pasuk just says they caught him. The Pasuk just says they, he chased after him and caught him. And again, the Midrashim tell us that this, uh, how this drama played itself out, that the king ran away through the tunnels and, and would have gotten away, but it wasn't meant to be so, and he was caught. Um, and he was brought and brought to the king of Bavel, who killed all of his sons in front of him, had him blinded, and brought him to Bavel. I mean, this, um, Nebuchadnezzar, Melch Bavel, was a vicious man. And he killed, who knows how many thousands of Jews at that time. This was a, this was a holocaust. You know, the, the Pasuk doesn't talk about details, but the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash wasn't just about the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Did he also kill the Jews that were already in Bavel? No, 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 no. They were okay? Yeah, it doesn't say he killed everyone, but he, he killed the king. I mean, the king's family he killed, and he blinded the king, and he took him into captivity, and many Jews were killed as they were just, you know, bombarding Yerushalayim, but many then were taken to Golos, taken to exile to Bavel. Um, and this whole story is in Yermio. Yermio himself wanted to go with the Jews to Golos, and the king didn't let because he was afraid of Yermio, because he knew he was a prophet, he was a tzaddik. There's a whole story there in the Novi that Yermio went, and he put the, they were taking the Jews with, um, um, you know, chain, chains. So Yermio went and put the chains on his shoulders, so I'm going with my, with my Eden who Yermio had been prophesizing for years that this is going to happen, but Yermio loved Paul Yisrael. The king had the chains removed from him forcibly, because he said, I'm not taking you into exile, because the king knew about you know, the powers of, of, of Tzadikim and so on and so forth. But this was Golos Babel. And then, um, he sent his biggest um, murderer, was a person named Nevuzaradon, was called the, the chief murderer of the armies of, um, of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was sent into Yerushalayim, and that's when they burnt out the Vayisra of Beis Hashem, they burnt the home of Hashem, as Beis HaMelech, the home of the king, and all the houses of Yerushalayim, everything was burnt, everything was destroyed in fire. 
um, the walls of Yerushalayim were destroyed. And whoever was left, who was left in the city, was either killed or was uh, exiled by this Nevuzaradon. Um, the one that, that burned the Beis HaMikdash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it says that they really, he said, the Beis HaMikdash, anything that had any value of silver and gold and the things, the beautiful things that Shlomo Melech had made 400 years earlier were taken, and whatever they couldn't take, they burned. And it goes through actually all the details of the Caleb and the Beis HaMikdash, the vessels that were all taken, and the, the tall pillars that were, that were there. Um, whatever they could take, they took. He took the head, the coin Godel, and the second in command, and he and he had them killed. Some he killed there, some he took to the Melech, and the and the Melech had them killed, the Melech of Babel, it is. Okay. And they exiled Kalaisra. Interestingly, they still left a tiny group of Jews in Yerushalayim. Just a group, just a small group of people to show that. No, we're not, you know, we're, we're nice people, obviously, right? Always the biggest Rishonim are trying to see, leave some type of a... So they left a small little group, and they left them with a leader. They instated a leader named Gedalia, Gedaliahu. And here we know how the disaster just continues, that they're trying, the Jews are trying to, okay, fine, get a breath, you know, a little bit with their new king Gedalia or new leader Gedalia, and then there is a inner... Few amongst the Jewish people, and there's this person named Yishmael ben Netanya, who is jealous that Gedalia is the one who became the leader, and he comes on Rosh Hashanah and they assassinate Gedalia. That's why we have our fast Som Gedalia. Right? All the fast that we have is from this period of time. Whether it's Tisha B'Av or Asar B'Tevis, Shiva Asar we discussed, right? All it's around the Khurban. So the death of Gedalia was the total final last straw. Even that little enclave of Jews that are, okay, you can stay in Yerushalayim and have your leader, that too, the Jews themselves ruined through killing Gedali, through having through Gedali being killed on, on Rosh Hashanah, and that's the reason for our fast of Tzom Gedali that we fast till today. At that point, everybody left. Even those few Jews that were left in Yerushalayim, when they saw that they had killed the one that that the Babylonians had instated, they were afraid for their lives because this could be seen as treason against the Babylonians. And they all left. So now there's nothing. Now there's nothing left in Yerushalayim. And that's the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. So really, if you think about really where we started learning, right? we, we, we finished tonight, I, I just uh, looked it up, this is our 48th class in Navi. That we did it for like about two years or so. We started from Yehoshua, right? So really, Yeshua is when we came into Eretz Yisrael, and now is when we left. Till now, we were in Eretz Yisrael, and this was a period of of eight hundred and ninety and eight hundred and sixty years. It was exactly eight hundred because there was four hundred and fifty. I'm sorry, eight hundred fifty years. I'm sorry, because it was four hundred and fifty years till they built the base of Mikdash. From Yeshua till, and then 410 years. Till they were exiled. I'm sorry, 440 plus 410. 440. So it's 440 until they build the first base of Mekdash. 410 years of the first base of Mekdash. So it's 440 plus 410. It's 850 years that we were in Eretz Yisrael. Um, the first period was the was the Shoftim, the Vim, and the Shoftim that we learned, and then the Malachim. And the Malachim built the base of Mekdash, that was Shlomo HaMelech, and then we had the two Malchus. 
and then ultimately the ten tribes were exiled, and now the two tribes are exiled, so it's after 850 years of the land of Eretz Yisrael that we are exiled into Bavel. And that exile is going to be a very tough exile, but it's going to be only not that long, for 70 years, in which there's going to be the story of Purim, and so on, until we're going to rebuild the second Beis Amikdash with Ezra and Nehemiah 70 years later. Um, but the very last few psukim say something almost a little strange. And it says that it was 37 years later, or 37, I, I take that back, 37 years after Yehoiachin was exiled. Remember, Yehoiachin was the 19th king, right? He was the exile wave one. When we talk about that exile was in two waves. The first one was Yehoiachin. He was exiled 11 years before the Churban. Right? Now, 37 years after he's exiled, mm-hmm. so that means it's, it's 26 years after the Churban. Mm-hmm. So it says, Nebuchadnezzar dies in Bavel, and his son, his name is Evel Merodach, and he's a much finer person than his father. It's not hard to be finer than Nebuchadnezzar. And he takes, Yehoiachin was in captivity, for all of these years. He takes him out of captivity and he accords him honor. He says, um, he, he talks to him nicely. He gives him a, a, a place of honor. In fact, his place of honor is more honor than the other ministers of Bavel. And he gives him fine clothing and he invites him to eat with him at his table. And for the rest of his life, Yoyachin is honored by the king Evel Merodach in Bavel. And that's how the Sefer finishes. That's the end of Malachim Beis. And it's obviously a very strange ending to this. It's like almost like a little epilogue on the side. Oh, by the way, the king that was exiled was accorded honor and given a place to stay and a place to eat. And, and some of the Mepharshim point out that really what it is, is, is although on the one hand we just finished in the harshest place possible, we finished in Golos and we finished in Churban, but even there, Hashem takes care of Klal Yisrael, even in a situation of Churban, and brings them honor where they are. And that's how it finishes. That this king, that was in captivity, and that was in the worst place, and whatever, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar is out of the way, is again reinstated and given in Golos, still very much in exile, and the Besamekdash is not rebuilt, but even in Golos, we're able to raise our head. And that's really the story of Klal Yisrael. We're, we're in Golos for a tremendous amount of time. And it we're was waiting. a bad king, though, right? Uh, yeah, he wasn't from the good kings. Yeah, uh, did, did he do tshuva or not before that? I don't know. It doesn't say. But it says that nevertheless he was accorded the honor, and that's how the that's exactly how the navi finishes. The last pasuk says, "Varuchasa ruchas tamid nitnul." Every day he was given his meals, meis hamelak from the king. Every day for the rest of his life, and that's how the navi finishes. That we should remember, even in times of gulos, we're still Hashem looks out for us. And yes, we've gone through everything, but history says wherever we are and whatever point in time, we, we, um, we have our, our good moments and Hashem looks out for us and we wait for the Gula Shlema. Just like then, it was 70 years, now it's a lot longer um, to be able to, give, uh, to come back to our Malachim with the Malachim Mashiach. It should be very, very speedily in the Korah of Mamash. And with that, we finish the Sefer Malachim base. Wow.